Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, um, got another Q&A today. Um, got a lot of jam-packed questions here, and uh, we're going to start it off with a lot of details. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I chopped all of them down by 75%. Wow. And just like made it one concise question because a yeah. lot of them were like you going to remember the details? Yeah. Wow. Because I just read them, so I think I think I should be good. They're all, uh, all of them except one or two at the bottom are Facebook group. Oh, okay. So we might not even get to those last two. We'll see. Okay. So the first one is from Adrian Franklin. Says, is sodium in food a huge hindrance for weight loss? Shout out to her for utilizing the shit out of Q&As. Yeah. I feel like I hear that name quite often. There's a few that are always asking questions, which is great. Yeah. Which is really good. Big tip to people who, two two different people. Uh, The person who maybe can't afford coaching or isn't 100% sure or sold on buying coaching or feels like they can do a little bit on their own before they need to hire a coach to kind of take it to the next level. Utilize the Q&As. Like even other people's podcasts, like they're literally giving you their best information and answers in time for free. For free. It's like, why not ask and get super specific. Talk about yourself. Like it's, I mean, it's just free help, you know? Um, And then the second person for coaches and stuff like that, I used to ask questions on podcasts. I would comment on people's uh, pictures or posts on Facebook, stuff like that, just to get noticed. So like, it's just a way, like, I don't even have a question or need to say say anything, but I'm going to say something noticeable so this person sees me yeah. and then starts seeing my name over and over again until I'm ready to actually like start a conversation or introduce them. And then I'll have some rapport because they see me commenting on all their shit. So I remember doing that for a long time and then going to a seminar yeah. and somebody was like, oh, dude, you're Cody Boom Boom. <laughs> You've commented on my thing 763 times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But hey, you know who I am. Dude, and, and the cool thing was he said that when I was, I was a young trainer still. Yeah. And there was a group of like ogs in the training space that yeah. i really looked up to and i would kind of like walked i was walking by to get a drink and he called me out it was nate green mm. never forget it we're in florida at an event in tampa and it was kind of like oh shit and then everybody was sitting there and then i was kind of like in the click for a little bit talking to everybody yeah. and it was like whoa but it's just because i fucking commented quite a few times yeah, <laughs> virtually networking yeah that's so, awesome um Want the question again? Yeah, I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, she says, is sodium, a, a, is sodium in food a huge hindrance on weight loss? Uh, yeah, she also asked about, like, processed meat and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think – so processed meat typically has high sodium, but really all processed foods have high sodium because sodium helps preserve the food. Right. So – I don't necessarily think processed meats are bad because of sodium. It, it's more – a lot of them are bad just because it's bad quality. It's not sourced well. So if you get, like, spam, oh. it's it's not – have you ever had spam? No. Don't Can, plan on it. Canned ham. No. <laughs> it's uh, – Foul. 
actually, I don't know I can say if you it, cook it right, it's good. So yeah. like if you if you go to like a, a Hawaiian household, mm. they know how to cook fried spam and stuff like that, and it's fire with some like pineapple. Dude, it's good. Fire. Yeah. It's deep. Oh, trust me, I was very uh, cautious hesitant. And, and hesitant. Yeah, but yeah. but it was fire. Um, but uh, it, it's usually just low quality source like the farm where it's coming from potential pesticides stuff like that that's really the dangers of processed meat because it's just low quality meat and that's just the same danger as buying low quality meat Mm -hmm. in the store from the deli you know but if it's low quality it's low quality which is why we like people like butcher box where it's all organic and grass-fed um but as far as sodium goes sodium's not really a big issue i know she was she was talking about for her kid if, if her kid has, has – because she was saying she buys canned soup for a kid and that has high sodium. If, if your kid has some pre-existing uh, complication, disease, or issue that would need a low-sodium diet, you would know yep. because your doctor would be telling you. If your kid is healthy and a normal weight and all that stuff and they're active, there's really no problem with sodium. Now, the more processed food you have, the less added sodium – you should you should be adding to your diet because you're already getting a lot of it from processed food. But the more whole foods you focus on, so like for me, I add salt to every single meal I cook because I don't eat a lot of processed foods. So I need to add salt in order to get sodium. And if I don't get sodium, my nervous system, uh, I get sodium that has iodine in it still. Sometimes they extract the iodine because the iodine is going to help your thyroid, um, your nervous system, your thyroid, your muscles. Mm-hmm trying to avoid cramping, having enough hydration, and getting a good pump in the gym, um, and your performance, uh, your hydration, your pH levels. Like, So there's like a little trick I used to do with like athletes or people who are competing in CrossFit. I'd be like, hey, like bring pink Himalayan salt with you, and you're going to throw down a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon even, not much at all, of pure salt like 30 minutes before you work out. Mm-hmm throw it down with water but they literally have a performance boost just from throwing salt back and it's because of these nervous system muscular benefits yeah and what's, what's what's the main difference between doing himalayan salt in water and like a gatorade um it, pink himalayan salt is just a higher grade higher quality of sodium that's yeah. all it is so it has more nutrients still in it mm-hmm. um a lot of it's like uh, think of it like this like there's like whole grain wheat bread and then there's white bread Right, white bread is called enriched flour, and it's basically like they they remove everything from it, and then they enrich it, they fortify it with like B vitamins and stuff, which is oh. not that high quality. <laughs> but organic Dave's Killer bread, whole grain, like it's all still there. You get the germ, you get the sperm, you get everything from the grain, so you get all the nutrients. Gotcha. Um, kind of similar, like pink Himalayan salt is going to have the potassium, the iodine, the magnesium, all those things that you want out of it. Um, Gatorade, although it has sodium, you're just not going to get that big of a kick. You know, you can't drink Gatorade before and feel like a performance improvement. Yeah, um, It might help continue your endurance through the event because it's carbs coming in more so than sodium. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, sodium is one of those things where y- you're going to feel like shit in and out of the gym if you don't have enough of it. Um, so it's kind of one of those. I always recommend adding good salt, either s- table salt that still has iodine in it. Um, or pink Himalayan salt to all your meals. But I caution that with people who are eating out a lot or are on a high uh, processed food diet, which is not what we recommend, obviously. But um, Will the table salt, like, be obvious that it still has iodine in it? It should say iodized on it. Like on the front label? Yeah, so, like, you know those, uh, what's that brand? The blue tin, Uh, dirt cheap, and has, like, the little girl on it. Yeah, Yeah, I have no idea. Um, So there's... (laughs) 
that salt. Yep. Then they have like kosher salt, and then they have iodized salt. You just okay. get the iodized one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I use that on most of my meals. I use pink Himalayan salt in the morning for for my eggs, and then I put that on my meat and veggies and all that shit. Um, and it works well. I mean, it, it tastes good because it tastes like salt, but it still has that iodine. Yeah. And it makes a big difference, but it's it's so does it hinder her her real question does it hinder weight loss not at all um sodium levels your body adapts extremely well to hot like fluctuations of sodium so what happens is if you go from having a really low sodium diet to having a really really high sodium diet you will retain a ton of water right because you have so much more solids pulling in water but if you keep your sodium levels that high you will flush that water out and you'll start having your baseline normal again mm. but your baseline sodium level is just gonna be higher than it was before your body adapts to it really easily um, so that's why it's like, well, what's the best amount of sodium? It's like, well, it kind of depends on how big you are, how much you're training, how much salt you've had in the past, how much salt you currently have, you know, you don't want to make big swings in salt. Um, so if you're going to increase, it's a gradual increase, but I definitely don't tell people, like I recommend people don't, I think, uh, avoiding salt or sodium is a bigger hindrance on fat loss than letting some in because you will see detriments in Muscle growth, muscle recovery, nervous system function, thyroid, so on and so forth. Touche. So, mm. probably the complete opposite of what she thought. It depends. Can answer. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. The uh, let's see here. Next question comes from James Ward. It says how to have a successful comeback. Many of us are either returning or eyeing a return from a long hiatus from the gym. Where should we try and pick back up with volume and intensity and how to adjust nutrition when calories are tracking wasn't a focus? So <clears throat> the nutrition one we'll start with because that's easier. Uh, what to do with your nutrition if you, like most people went through quarantine and, you know, they, they really weren't tracking much. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I think it went two ways. I think like half the people started tracking more because people were like, oh, I have all the control in the world, right? Like I can essentially control my entire diet because I'm stuck at home all the time. Yeah. Um, so some people actually did better about tracking than other people just stopped tracking because yeah. they're like, well, fuck it. It's quarantine. I'm going to use it as a staycation and this will be over soon. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh shit, it's not over. <laughs> it's still not over. Um, <clears throat> but for nutrition from that realm, I think it's actually really simple. Like if, if tracking wasn't a focus, start tracking. Yeah. You know, if you stop tracking during quarantine and you started eating intuitively, your calories may have shifted up or down depending on what intuitive eating looks like to you. Interesting. Some people who intuitively eat, eat in a surplus, right? They're, they're not tracking. So they end up eating too much and they don't lose weight. Some people, usually people who have busy lifestyles or high stress when they don't track, they don't eat enough. And then they fall behind on calories. Yeah. So you'll the the first step is really just tracking and see like in comparison to your maintenance, are you eating too little or too much? Like where did you float to during quarantine? And then now, just reverse to that point or cut to that point, right? So I think it's it's as simple as start tracking, find your maintenance, and dial in your macros, and be patient for a solid three to four weeks, and just let your body get adjusted to tracking and getting consistent again, and then from there, you can make a decision. Do I need to make a deficit? Do I need to make a surplus? But don't overcomplicate things. I mean, if you weren't tracking, it's just like somebody like, okay, well, I want to start dieting. What do I do? Yeah. Start dieting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, just take a step. Um, As far as training goes, it's almost like you want to treat your first few weeks as a deload. So, if you Get back in the swing of things. Yeah, if you normally do fifteen sets per muscle group per week and you train five days a week and your deload is a twenty five percent reduction on volume, so you end up doing, you know, eleven or twelve sets per muscle group per week and you train four days a week, 
you would start there. Yeah. So start on your deload volume. Um, intensity, I think you should just plan on having an R. This is the good thing about RPE and RIR. If you plan on having an RPE of eight or an RIR of two to three, let's say, two to three reps in the tank, then <clears throat> your intensity will scale itself. You don't need to really like back off because as long as you go to a point where you just have two to three reps left in the tank, you're going to be fine because after taking a hiatus, your set going two to three reps shy of failure is much lower now than it would have been if you trained all the way through quarantine, mm, right? If you yeah. didn't take that break, right? Because you wouldn't have lost any strength gains. So if you disassociate what number is on the bar and just think of an RPE scale of like, I'm going to get to like seven or eight on everything I do, your weight will naturally solve itself. There you go. And then I think you should just take a deload from your volume, 25% reduction to volume, and you should be totally fine. Um, and it also depends on how long the break was. You know, if somebody, you know, they're, let's say like quarantine hit and their gym closed, but it opened back up in a month, you don't really have to do much. Like you'll be fine. I, I would probably still do the deload of volume just to make sure you don't overdo it, but your strength will still be there because it's a neurological thing. But if you were out of the gym for six months, now it's it's going to be a longer process of keeping the volume reduced by 25% for a solid probably two blocks, like four to eight weeks. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you can start increasing things. And you'll know, I mean, like at the end of the day, like DOMS is okay. Like you should have some delayed onset muscle soreness the, within the f- your first few days. You know, you have a good lift. The next couple days, you should be pretty sore. Maybe the third day, but fourth day, you should be cleared up. Yeah. If you're like sore five days later, you went too hard. You did too much for your body and we got to pull back. Getting four hours of sleep. Yeah. Or saying rest. Yeah. Or if you only got four hours of sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's where it just comes down to getting all your ducks in a row. You know, like don't talk to me about program design. If you're sleeping like shit, you're super stressed out and you, you're eating fast food all the time. Like it's, (laughs) don't worry about the advanced stuff, you know, but yeah. All right, cool. Uh, we got next question is from Renee Arston. Arston. On a recent podcast, you talked about the myth of hard hard gainers. You spoke about how, how finding the right program is sometimes the key difference to progress or not. How do you know when it's time to change it up and try something different? Uh, in the simplest way, when you're not making progress. <laughs> like So if, you're, if your progress has stalled out noticeably, it's time for a change. Yeah. Um, I don't care if it's been four weeks or 16 weeks, you know, it's something has to change. Now, if it's only been three or four weeks, the thing that needs to change is probably exercise selection. You can still like, let's say you're doing a, like a four day split with daily undulated periodization, which is what I like, or a concurrent method where you have like some low rep sets and some high rep sets scattered throughout the week. So you're hitting both rep ranges for every muscle group in your body. Um, that split is perfect. So keep that, but every three to four weeks, change your exercises so you have a novelty stimulus and you give your body something new to progress with. But if you do that for 16 to 24 weeks, so like four to six months, now we get into a place where like you might be stalled out because the intensity is because the volume. Now you have to make a decision. Do I, and there's toggles, do I increase volume or do I increase intensity? Because you can't increase both. You increase both, you're going to just get smashed. You yeah. won't last longer than a week. I think the best way to know which toggle to turn for yourself is really just a reflection of what your past has told you. So, um, I know for me, my body, so there's two ways to look at this. My body responds really well to high volume programs when it comes to building muscle. So if I haven't done a high volume program and I want to like 
dedicate some time to build muscle. It's 100% what I'm going to do. And that's what I just did. Like, it was like, okay, I'm ready to build muscle. I'm going to train six days a week, turn volume all the way up. Intensity is going to stay like moderate because I don't want to go too hard every time or lift too heavy, but just do a ton of work. And I grew, right? Um, Now, if if I did that and six months later, which is exactly what just happened with me Mm -hmm. again, I look back and I'm like, okay, my body responds really well to volume, but I've been doing high volume training for like six to eight months. My body's not responding the same way it was. Why is that? Well, it's because it needs a new stimulus. So what did I do? I turned down the volume, turned up the intensity. So now I'm going closer to failure every single session. I'm still not completely failing, but I'm lifting in the 70, 80, 90% of my max effort range versus the 60, 70 constantly, right? Doing eight to 15 reps on everything. You can only lift 60, 70 at max percent of your one rep max. So I can't lift super heavy. When I'm doing like sets of three, five, six, now I can lift to almost 90% of like almost full rep max. So I'm doing way more strength work, but I'm doing way less volume, way less sets per muscle group per week. Um, And I'm getting good results from it, but it's because it's a dramatic change from the last almost year of doing pretty high volume stuff. Um, So I think the answer is simple. Like look at your history. What does your body respond well to? Um, If you haven't done what you know your body responds well to in the past, change it up. Um, If you have always done the same thing in your past, then change it up. And it's just one of those things where what you change up to depends on, on your history, essentially is what I'm saying. If, again, if you know your body responds to high volume and you haven't done it well, do that. If it does respond well, but you've been doing it for a long time and you've noticed plateaus, make a complete change. Um, and I would like do something you've never done before if you're at that point. So I know for me, like I got really, really good results with a full body program. Um, like, I mean, I built more muscle on my lats and quads and my, my numbers went up more than ever. And I was only lifting three days a week, Mm. but it was bench squat deadlift every single day. So three days a week, heavy bench, heavy squat, heavy deadlift intensity up, uh, with intensity up. Um, and then I would do some like sled work or something at the end. And I was like, this is way too much volume for me to grow, but I'm, I'm going to get strong. And I grew and it's like, why is that? Well, it's because I haven't trained only three days a week ever. Cause as soon as I started, I went gung ho and just started training every day. And I've never repeated the three big lifts every day in the gym and not done any curls and all that stuff. I just like just focusing on those place so much tension on the muscle in a new way that I grew. Right. And it's, it's, novelty stimulus. Now I, if somebody was like, what's the best program for hypertrophy? I probably wouldn't say a, a DUP program three days a week, which is what that is. Yeah. But if they've never done it before, it might be a different discussion, right? If somebody mm-hmm. comes to me and they're, they've done boot camp classes or they've done CrossFit or done full body stuff. I'm going to give them an upper lower split and they're going to respond really well. If somebody comes to me and they've done like a bro split or an upper lower split their whole life, I'm going to give them a full body plan and they're going to explode. Like it's just, it's, it's a completely different stimulus in Based on the research that I've looked at at this topic of this like novelty stimulus, it usually only happens if you've gone a year or more without using that training modality. It has to be like really fresh. Hmm. So again, me doing this like conjugate style where I'm going really heavy, lower volume. I haven't done that in at least a year. Like I, I, I did the really high volume for about six to eight months. But even before that, I was still doing generally high volume bodybuilding, just different splits. So it's been a long time since I've done like a really good low volume strength program. Because of that, I think it's going to work really well. Wow. So. You still grew. Yep. Wow. I hope that's a good explanation. I mean, it's it's a hard one to say because it just is so dependent on the person. Yeah. But I think you should look at your history and then make that decision. Totally. All right. We'll go to the next question, which is uh, from Megan Simon. It says, I always work out early in the morning, typically fasted. 
I often hear that whey protein is, is recommended post-workout protein with carbohydrate. I do a smoothie uh, with whey and fro- frozen fruit a lot of the days, but it doesn't seem filling. If I can hit the same macros with egg whites and oatmeal, does that impact at all how the body uses the protein and carbs? So I think in in like if we're getting theoretical here, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You hit your macros, you hit your macros. It's daily intake. Um, if we want to get a little more technical, I would say it is going to have a different effect, but I wouldn't say one is better than the other. So in some regards, the oatmeal would be better because the oatmeal and egg whites would be better because one, it's more filling. As she said, it'll keep her satiated longer. Um, but two, it's a starch and muscle glycogen is mainly glucose, which glucose comes from starchy carbohydrates. So you're replenishing your muscle glycogen with the, the thing that it needs, Mm. Um, on the other end, the fruit is faster digesting. It's going to replace blood glucose and it's going to refill liver glycogen, which is also really important. And the Mm. whey protein is going to be a quicker absorbing protein than the egg whites. So we kind of get in this battle of like both are good, but both aren't great. Mm. So what I would do is have the egg whites in oatmeal, but add fruit into the oatmeal. So now you have egg whites by itself, do whatever with that. And then oatmeal with some blueberries in it or something. Now you're getting that fruit to replenish the liver glycogen and you're getting oatmeal to replenish muscle glycogen. For sure. And it could be any fruit. I just love blueberries. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Big blueberry I, guy. Dude, I love blueberries. I eat them every day. <laughs> I was so I was I was so like uh what is it called? Disheartened. Maybe that's yeah. not the right word. When I went to the dentist, yeah. I was like, man, how do I get my teeth whiter? And he was like, well, let's talk about your diet. And I was like, oh, I eat really well. He's like, do you eat blueberries? I was like, every day. He's like, yeah, it's like Good the worst today. food. <laughs> worst food you can. I was like, man, I have literally have two two meals a day. I eat blueberries. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's the worst food you can have for your teeth. Damn. It's like just, it's like literally like coloring purple crayon on your teeth. Yeah. He's like, what about coffee? You drink coffee? I was like, Oh yeah, like five <laughs> cups a day. It's like, it's like a horrible. That's why I drink so many rock stars now because oh. I'm trying to keep my teeth white. Uh, but yeah, um, that would be my recommendation. I don't. Th- I think you'll be fine either way. Go with what like you can adhere to. But um, you know, you could also throw the oats into the smoothie, and I've done that too. Where it's mm. like I make a super shake with protein powder and frozen fruit and then I just throw some oats in there so I get that starch but it's ground up and it's easier to to digest and I still get the best of both worlds yeah right so that might be the ultimate honestly yep because the pro the whey protein's good big blackberry guy you are yeah blackberries are nice dude I know the only reason I (laughs) I don't like them because the the seeds get stuck in your teeth man man I'd rather Mm. that than permanent marker on my teeth I mean I think blackberries are just as bad as blueberries for your teeth Dennis didn't tell me that. I, well, I didn't say I ate blackberries. Yeah. I also don't eat blackberries twice a day every day. Yeah, <laughs> but true. Blackberries are a fire, though. They are. I feel like, honestly, I would have any berry over any other fruit. Strawberries are fire. Raspberries are great. Oh, over any other fruit. Blueberries are great, yeah. I'll okay. take berries over bananas, apples, oranges, pears, peaches, anything. Yeah. That's a hard discussion, but. They're so good, they though. I love bananas. Oh you do? Oh, my God, yeah. Do you I okay? Eat, eat a banana every morning. Do you do you like them? Like okay, which one is ripe? Is ripe when it's like starting to get brown? Yeah. Do you like it ripe or do you like it fresh? Fresh. Gross. Where it's like still kind of green and hard. No, I mean green is not ripe. Gr- gr- right. Some brown spots. Yeah. Okay. One. Damn. Okay. <laughs> I, I like. I don't quite, like it green. I like it yellow. I like quite a few brown spots on it. Yeah. Like, Dude, Josephine loves them like. All brown. They're just mush. Yeah, and then she'll freeze and make you banana o- bread. Like you open it and it just yeah. falls off. Yeah. It's, it's so, <laughs> so disgusting. Gross. 
<laughs> yeah, but that you need that for banana bread. Yeah, we we put the bananas in the freezer once we're not going to eat them. And yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Blake loves. I don't want to say a quarter, but I feel like I feel like a quarter of our freezer is frozen bananas. <laughs> like she's just like she'll make banana these, bread someday. These aren't good. Throw them in the freezer. Yeah, I'm just like, jeez. <laughs> but we get like two or three bundles from Costco. So yeah. All right, let's keep going. They're cheap as fuck too. That's one of the best things about them. Yeah, a whole a whole thing of bananas at Costco is like two dollars. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you buy uh, a thin little thing of raspberries. It's six bucks. Damn. Yeah, I mean maybe not six, Dude, but just like four. Bananas nine. are just. I don't know. Blossoming. Have That's not no idea. <laughs> and they're better, like from a standpoint of like trying to find organic. It's you don't need to because there's a peel. It's got a protectant. Ah. Berries don't have from, a peel from pesticides. Yeah. So any any fruit that has a shell or a skin. It's actually safer to eat not organic. Do they just like plant banana tree? Because it's a tree. It's yeah, not it's a, a tree. plant. Yeah, it's a tree. It's not like a, you know, like a berry, f- you know. Yeah, berry, like a blueberry farm. Yeah, or. I mean, a blueberry, I guess it's te- that's technically a tree. And technically a tree is a plant. Yeah. I mean, like Yakima, there's but is a plant thousands a tree? of cherry. Ch- yeah. yeah. Plant tree? Is a plant a tree? Because a tree is a plant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a tree is a plant. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if a plant is always a tree. It is. Well, what about like a okay. stinging nettle? Yeah, That's you're a tree. right. You're right. It's a bush. You're right. <laughs> I think by definition it might be though. We just don't know this. <laughs> we'll All right. So later. next question is. <laughs> I got another. Yeah, like I there was a question that uh, me and Shannon were arguing about this the other day. What was it? Oh, what's the difference between a frog and a toad? Not. It's a. They're both frogs. No, one's a toad. One's a frog. Dude, a toad is just a, like an adult frog, I believe. I don't think so. I think a toad are the ones that make, like, there's like a, well, there's a bullfrog too. Bullfrogs are huge and they make that. They're all frogs. Frog (laughs) is the umbrella. No, no, amphibians is the umbrella. Okay, if we're going that high. I mean, animals. (laughs) (laughs) Creatures. Is an amphibian an animal? Organisms. This is not part of the (laughs) Q&A. All right, we got a next question from Tiffany Orlowski, another regular. Animal planet. Trav and Cody. <laughs> yeah. It's a <laughs> Uh What are your favorite ways to tell... Wait, hold on. What are your favorite ways to tell, tell you are lifting at appropriate RIR to build muscle without impacting recovery and performance in your next workout? I think there's two ways to go about this. Uh, he, he, he or she brought up RP and... Tiffany? Is it Tiffany? Okay, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't listen to the name. <laughs> Sorry, Tiff. I know you're a girl. Um, she brought up RP, Renaissance Periodization, uh, because they have a specific way of doing it, and they linearly progress sets. Gotcha. So what they do is week one, your RIR is pretty low, and your volume is pretty low. So you might be doing like six exercises, two sets per exercise with a four RIR. The next week, you do three sets, three RIR. Uh, four sets, two to three RIR. Five sets, one to two RIR, and then six sets, zero to one RIR. So you're basically getting closer to failure and increasing volume. It's effective, but it's brutal because as the weeks go on, your training sessions get longer and way fucking harder. So yeah. your recovery is is getting worse and worse and worse. But by the time it's at its peak, like maximum recovery volume, you're not recovering fully, you recycle and you go back to two sets with a big RIR. And now it's easier to recover and that's your deload and you have the super compensation effect. Totally. I don't personally program that way. I don't really like programming that way. Um, but I can't say it doesn't work because in theory, based on what I just said, I mean, clearly it works. And if you look at the results of the guys who use it, it works. Hmm. Um, but, I, and we talked about this on a, on a recent podcast. I think it's reserved for 
dedicated bodybuilders because those are the guys that are going to be really committed to doing long training sessions and really being meticulous with their progressions over the weeks. Um, now, another way to do it is you could literally just stay at one to three RIR every single week. And then by the time you get to a place where what was what load was once three RIR is now zero or one RIR, you need a deload. You take a deload, you go way lower than like, so you're going like five RIR, drop volume, and then you repeat. Um, I would rather do that. If, if you constantly say one, two, or three reps shy of failure, you're in the zone of making good gains and not going too hard to where you don't recover. Um, you can train to failure on some things, like you can train to failure on a band pull apart or a dumbbell lateral raise or a sled push. You're going to be fine. It's not going to wreck you. If you go to failure on a deadlift or a squat or a bench press or even a dumbbell RDL and things that are more compound, you're going to get smashed and it's, you're not going to be able to recover for, uh, for very long. So in general, I would say like your accessory work that is easy to recover from and you can, everybody listening can justify what's easy to recover from. If you're doing a dumbbell hammer curl or a dumbbell lateralize or a band something, it's going to be probably pretty easy to recover from. I don't think yeah. it's a debate. You can take those two failures sometimes or stay one rep shy away from failure because you're failing based on muscular fatigue and metabolite accumulation. It's exactly. different than your nervous system yeah. smashing, right? It's just your muscle getting so full that it's like, it's hard to move, um, which is easier to recover from than uh, central nervous system fatigue. So you can keep your accessory and isolation works to that like zero to one RIR and then you can keep everything else two to three RIR. So like two to three reps shy of actual absolute failure. And if you do that, you'll always stay in the zone of making good gains and keeping recovery in, in a good trajectory. Um, and then what you do is if I'm staying at two to three or one to three RIR every single week, I'm going to add load as the weeks go on because I'm going to get stronger right? Uh, I'm doing the same rep range. I'm keeping a, I'm staying a couple reps shy of failure. I'm getting good gains. I should be able to add load, uh, week to week and maintain that RIR, right? Because if I do 200 pounds and it's a, for eight reps and it's a two RIR, well, if I do that again next week, maybe it's like a two and a half RIR, like just a little bit easier, mm -hmm. but it should be easier because I just did it last week and I got stronger because I did it and I recovered from it. So after another week, I might be able to go like 205 or I hit 200 again, I realized it's like a three or four IR. It's like, damn, I got way more in the tank. Next week, I'm going to go up. So I would rather somebody stay about one to three RIR, uh, so one to three reps shy of failure on everything and try to linearly progress load over time. Uh, maybe reps. So like if you're doing lateral raises, you can add reps until you can bump up weight. Yeah. Um, that's my preferred method. And as long as you're not going to complete failure on big lifts, you should be fine to recover. Um, and, and everybody needs a deload. Remember too, like it's not just about how many sets you're doing, how much load you're lifting. It's about time too. If you've been just generally getting pretty close to failure, making good gains for fucking 10 weeks, you're going to need a deload soon because yeah. it's 10 weeks of training. It's a lot of accumulated energy being put into it. Um, and that's okay. So just know that like deloads are normal. We all need them. And you would think more frequently, I don't know, frequently, more frequent than every 10 weeks. Yeah. I mean. Six? It depends on the person. And program. You know, I have uh, I have some clients who are training three or four days a week, and they deload every 12 weeks. Wow. But it's because they're, like, for a good example is this, is, like, a, a new female to lifting. Yeah. Right? She's not lifting at her max intensity yet because she doesn't know how. It's a skill. Yeah. So she doesn't need deloads yet. Um, I've watched somebody do this where it was like, I never deloaded her because she didn't need it. And then it started becoming every few months, and then it was every two months. And now it's every fourth week is a deload. 
because she needs it. Mm-hmm. We, we go three or four weeks of training hard. We give it a deload and then we repeat. And typically I find that's where most people get to. You get to about every – anywhere between four to six weeks, you're going to need a deload. Yeah. It's every fourth week for me. So I have um, – Maybe that's just what I was thinking. Yeah. And, and it's not even uh, – technically, I don't even do really full deloads when I program because we have like a new week. Like last week was a new week. So RIR was a bit higher so we can get used to movements. And that's kind of a deload naturally. It's just a little bit easier. Yep. Week two gets harder. Week three is really fucking hard. And then week four is a new program. We're learning new things. It's kind of somewhat of a deload again. So it's like you're kind of cycling in small deloads every three to four weeks. So you don't have to take a full real deload. Gotcha. Which isn't fun. Just skipping the gym. But depending on the program, you can't do that. Like the last program I was on, I had to take a full deload where I literally would go from six days a week training high volume to four days a week of low volume just fucking around in the gym because I just needed a break. And then I'd get back to it because there was no auto-regulated deload yeah hey guys i hope you're enjoying this podcast but i wanted to pop in real quick and shout out my sponsor legion athletics legion athletics is the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world they are naturally sweetened and flavored supplements that are scientifically backed with good ingredients and proper doses which is pretty rare in the supplement space to be honest with you and you get a hundred percent money back guarantee and free shipping so if you hate the product which probably won't happen. You can get all your money back. Right now, you can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% off your first order and start getting loyalty points so you can get free supplements in the future. Legion is literally a company that I've been using for years, not only for myself, but also with my family and with all of my clients. They have some great products for sports performance and health, and I really can't say enough about who they are as a brand, their transparency, because they are one of the only supplement companies that actually says nutrition and training is more important than supplements. So they are very honest, they are very science-driven and evidence-based, and they are the real deal when it comes to the top quality supplements that you can get on the market. So once again, head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save today. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the episode. All right, uh, cool. Let's get to this. Um, next question is from Stacy Ormy. How do you help? How do you help your fat loss clients navigate the holidays? Do you give them a diet break the week of Thanksgiving? Jump back it, into it, a deficit until Christmas. Yeah, jump back into a deficit until Christmas or New Year's Eve. In a perfect world, yeah. If I can, I typically like so like in a perfect world, I would say. We're taking a three to five day diet break around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. One thing I've noticed is that if I go, hey, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and a couple of days after, that's your diet break. They usually get through Thanksgiving, maybe Black Friday, and they go, hey, I'm ready to go back to the deficit. Because if you enjoy Thanksgiving, like you don't want to eat for three days, <laughs> you know, because you eat so much food and it's so filling yeah. that I very rarely give somebody a full diet break on Thanksgiving and them actually use it. I say, hey, we're going to take two to five days. Let me know how you feel after Thanksgiving. And if they really enjoyed it and I'm telling them to be intuitive and just, hey, like, don't don't track macros. Just enjoy the meal. Like, trying to fucking calculate what's on the table is just stupid. Like, yeah. you're just going to be frustrated and stressed. There's no reason for it. Just enjoy the day. Email me in the morning. Let me know how you feel. And if they feel fantastic and they want to do it another couple of days, great. If they don't, don't. Go back to the deficit. Mm-hmm. And you'll probably feel better eating less calories the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like eating the day after Christmas, yeah. or, uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, but and then for Christmas, I usually would extend it. So it would be like Christmas Eve, Christmas, 
all the way till New Year's. So it's like it's like a full one to two weeks, right? Where you're going basically holiday mode, right? On this uh, on this occasion, I would track. Um, like for Christmas, I always say like, hey, track what's feasible and then estimate what you need to pull back on afterwards. So like for me, tracking Christmas Eve is really easy because we don't, all we do is eat crab. Like it's literally just like a huge crab feast and wine. So I'm like, okay, let me punch in a bottle of wine because I'll kill a bottle to myself and a pound of crab yep. with some butter. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Um, but Christmas morning, I don't even know. You know, I wake up and Shannon's got some like, apple strudel shit in the crock pot and there's like chocolate and I'm just like kind of snacking throughout the day. I'm not going to track that, but I can kind of in my head estimate like how how much I went over. I'm going to pull back the next day and then continue my diet break. Um, but I mean to, to make a long winded answer short and easy. Yes. I I always try to factor in some kind of refeed or diet break during those holidays because there's no reason to add that stress. I'd rather put somebody in a bigger deficit leading up to it so that they can take that day off. Uh and it not affect them negatively, yep. then I would try to get them to track on that day. Yeah. What's the difference between putting him into a bigger deficit before opposed to you putting him in a b- bigger deficit after? Uh, to me, it's just a psychological difference. So from a coach perspective, it's like I want to prepare you or I want to punish you. Ah. You know what I mean? So a lot of people don't think about this. Technically, theoretically, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. And at the end of the day, like if you pull back before or it's after, like if your weekly psychological. Cl- yeah, if your weekly caloric intake is in check. It doesn't matter if you did it before or after. It's in check. Yep. But from years of working with people, and this is why like, I really push like this, this kind of coaching on our coaches and what we do, is thinking about how that makes people feel subconsciously. You know, if, if you're pulling food after binging, I'm punishing you. But if I pull food before you get there, you're preparing for it, and then we don't have to punish you afterwards, yeah. right? You can just go back to normal. I, I'd much rather have somebody just go back to their normal diet after a, a really big feast of a day than have to restrict calories because of what they did. Yeah, that makes sense. So Totally. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. We got one. These are the two Facebook questions. One's from Cass. It says, I'm relatively new to weightlifting uh, uh, for about a year. I'm 29 years old, athletic female looking to build muscle. Could you give me some more information on functional muscle and fit programs? Mm. Uh, yeah, real quick. Fit, F-I-T, is functional intensity training. It is full body. So it's four days a week of full body training, two days of conditioning. It's it's a strength and conditioning program. So that one's much more like, yes, you can use it to look good and, and change your aesthetics, absolutely, especially on a fat loss phase. But its main goal is like, I want you to be moving your most efficiently. So you're very functional in your movement patterns you have good conditioning and good strength. Like it's, it's performance driven, strength and conditioning. Um, functional muscle is a hypertrophy strength hybrid. So it's like a power building program, both of them, uh, functional muscle one and two. Functional muscle one is an upper lower split four days a week. Functional muscle two is an upper lower push pull leg split five days a week. Functional muscle two is a little more advanced, not only because there's more volume, but it uses a weekly undulated system. So week one is strength. For the upper lower compound days, uh, week two is speed, week three is strength, and you alternate back and forth totally. between intensities. And then the push-pull legs are always hypertrophy-based. Um, but it's a little more complex. Functional muscle is better for somebody who's a beginner. I think she said she had one year under her belt. Yep. I would probably go with functional muscle one. That's going to be like the best foundational program that we we offer on there. Yeah, and then obviously, if you join the Taylor Trainer, there's more of those. The um, fit is the one you're recommending? 
Functional muscle is. Oh, for her? Yeah. Oh, but functional muscle one. Yeah. How many week programs are these? Uh, functional muscle one is 12 weeks. Functional muscle two is either 12 or 16. I think it's 12. And then uh, fit is eight weeks. However, the way it's designed, every single week is different. Huh. So perfect world, it's 16 weeks. So what you want to do is go through it once. And then when you get to the end, you start back at the beginning, but you're lifting heavier for all those movements. Because every single, so like, for example, if you're doing a single leg quad dominant movement for eight reps, week one, it's a split squat. Week two, it's a forward lunge. Week three, it's a reverse lunge. Week four, it's a Bulgarian split squat. Week five it is a deficit split squat. Week six, it is a walking lunge. Week seven, it's a step up. So like, and I don't know if that's the exact progression, yeah, yeah, but the yeah. point is, is same muscle group, same intensity, but we're changing where the load is distributed. We're changing the center of gravity. We're changing our foot placement. We're changing our movement, which is why it encourages you to get better at moving. But because of that, you could repeat it two or three times and it would just be like doing it one time, really. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, next question comes from Kara. She says, I'm currently in a six-month deficit. I've been having frequent refeeds about one day a week and maintenance periods of one week every five to six weeks. Would this pro uh, would this approach be best for sustainable results or would just being in a deficit without any periods at maintenance work better? Um, I think the argument goes, like, with refeeds, diet breaks, and maintenance phases and stuff like that, you are more than likely going to have better adherence. So what we know from studies is like at the end of the, the trial, at the end of the fat loss phase, the results are the same, like as far as fat loss goes. However, usually when people take diet breaks, refeeds, or maintenance, they're usually more adherent to their calories. So yeah. they're usually going to be a little bit better with uh, actually hitting their macros and all that stuff throughout the, the course of the diet. So you might be taking a maintenance week every five to six weeks well those five to six weeks of dieting are going to be more on point because you took that maintenance block and your performance might be a little bit better um now if you're only worried about fat loss technically theoretically speaking deficit the whole time would get you there faster um but does it make you hate the process does it make your adherence lack by the end of it does your performance suffer because of it so Either there is no right answer is what I'm getting at. Either way is going to be a good route, um, and you're going to get to the end result. However, I probably would recommend having refeeds and diet breaks. I've, I've never had a client where – I mean, I lie. I have had clients where it doesn't work as well, but most of the time it works really well. The only time I don't use diet breaks is if it causes, like, a trigger to binge. Like, they can't have a high-calorie day because they'll just, like, splurge. Wow. They'll go over the top, which happens. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's a right answer. Gotcha. Oh, the last one – uh, is going to be from Emma Becerra. What do you think about the healthy at every size movement? In quotes, is healthy at every size. Is there a place for this in the fitness community? Um, reason I thought about this question is because I've I've heard a lot about this and nobody's ever asked that. So I was mm-hmm. like, I want to I want to dive into that one. Yeah. Um, I have uh like I have split opinions on it. So like, do you know what the healthy at every size movement is? I could guess, but no, I don't. It's basically saying you know like. There are women who are overweight, and that's okay, yeah. right? And that's healthy. Absolutely. And my opinion on it is there are women that are overweight, and I mean, I guess it's men too, but I think the movement's mainly women, um, and that is okay. Yeah. Like, I, I don't believe in fat shaming. I don't think that anybody should, like, uh, degrade that person for any reason. Like, you're not on a pedestal because you're fit or lean. 
However, I don't think it's healthy because studies show if you have too much body fat, there, there's complications. Like you will be more likely to have a heart attack. You'll be more likely to get these different autoimmune diseases. You'll be more likely to have cardiac arrest. You'll be, be more li- likely to have artery issues, um, hypertension, diabetes, uh, joint inflammation, arthritis. Like the list goes on. Like if you're, if you're too, too overweight, issues come up. What's Okay. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, but what's the definition of overweight then? I'm personally asking. I don't know. Like some people are just bigger. Okay, I would say obese. Okay. I think overweight is fine because, you know, being underweight is, I think, so there's like a scale, right? There's yeah. like underweight, there's there's normal, there's overweight, and there's obese. I think sometimes underweight is actually uh, more unhealthy than being overweight. Yeah. But being obese is not healthy. Yeah. And uh, healthy at any size implies that every size is healthy, which that, that would mean that the, the bikini competitor who didn't reverse diet properly and is way too skinny is healthy too. And that's not true. That's not the true. hormones are all fucked up. Yeah. Um, and the psychology behind it. Right. So I think that, and this, this is coming from somebody who like, I was not, I was never obese, but I was heavier. I was overweight mm-hmm. and I got blood work done just through my doctoral time. And I continue to get blood work done as I got fit and my blood work got better and better and better. My hormones got better and better and better my likelihood of getting a disease got lower and lower and lower because of it. So I'm not only proof, but science is proof. Yep. You know, if you're leaner without being too lean, then you're going to be healthier. So I, I think the, I think they have good intentions. Like I think the healthy at every size does have a place in the fitness community. Cause I think that it has good intentions. And I think, I believe at least that the intentions are that we shouldn't be shaming people who are overweight we should we should be helping lift them up because if i help lift you up i get you more positive and motivated you probably are going to make better choices and lose more weight yeah right so me making fun or putting you down isn't going to do anything so i think in that regard the movement is great and yeah. i think they're doing the right thing however i think they use a bad choice of words yeah. i think health healthy at any size is incorrect because we know for a fact that if you are obese that you do have health complications now that's okay i'm not going to blame you for getting there but you should lose weight. You should seek help. You yeah. should hire people like us because we spend our lives and we're passionate about helping people in those positions. So I, I don't know. Well, I want to know uh, your knowledge or your opinion about the difference between overweight and like body structure. Like I was trying to say that like someone is just built massively yeah. like a football player yeah. or compared to somebody at that size that is What's the difference between big structure and overweight? Yeah, so it's literally just body fat. Okay, so, that's what I was yeah. thinking. But so there's 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 guys that are, we know people that are just thick bones, super tall. They're just big motherfuckers, but they don't have a ton. <laughs> people? <laughs> we use a different word. Okay. Um, they don't have a ton of body fat on them. Yeah. When you have a ton of subcutaneous and visceral fat, visceral fat being under the skin, underneath the muscles, over your organs, yeah. you start getting things become more and more unhealthy. Correct. Um, now, the the only unhealthy thing about really big structured people is really just they're more likely to have arthritis and oh, joint issues because oh it's just yeah. a lot of weight, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, even just like the strongest the strongest man alive, impact. Thor, he's like 400-something pounds. What would you call him? Thor. That's his, his name. Yeah. His name's Thor? Yeah. I don't know if it's his real name or his nickname, but that's what everybody calls him. Okay, okay. He's the world's strongest man like five times a row. Wow. Like he's... Like he's massive. Yeah, he's got. It. Yeah, he's huge, and I mean he's like four hundred and fifty pounds, but he's not fat. Like, no, dude, look him up after all this. Right, he's right. not fat. <laughs> he used to have like a big belly, but he got on. He actually, you know, Stan Efferding, the vertical yeah, diet. Yeah, yeah, that's his his nutrition coach. Okay, he got lean. Like, yeah. So he's not like he's really not fat. I think he got so he went from if I remember right, 
correctly, he went from 450 down to 395, and then he bulked back up to 425, but lean. Yeah. So he's not he's not fat, yeah. but he has some health problems. He has sleep apnea. I know that for a fact. I guarantee he has joint stress. Like, there's certain things that are just like his bones, joints, and organs are so big that he is gonna run into some problems. Wow. Really, really large people don't live as long as average sized people. It's a it's a fact. Yeah. Um, and that has nothing to do with body fat, but those are also really rare cases. Yeah, definitely. In America, usually people it, it's more common to see people that are just really overweight. Yeah. Than massive structures. Yeah. But like the. It's not funny at all, but just, like, the case of, like, a 7-foot 12-year-old or something yeah. that is just, like, Dude, I went on, developing, I went, like... I went on this, like, fucking, like, just Google search binge one day, yeah. and I was, like, researching. I was just typing, like, the tallest this, the yeah, biggest yeah, this, yeah. The, and uh, the tallest man ever was, like, like 7 not, foot by 12, like, literally. He lived till he was, like, 24. Like, yeah. he, he died really young, but he Did was... Did you say 7 foot by 12? Yeah, he was literally... Oh, 12 years old. I yeah. thought you said 7 by 12. No. Like, what? <laughs> 8 feet. <Yeah. laughs> um, but I think he did get up to like 8 or 9 feet. Like, he's, yeah. he was massive. Dude. It's crazy. There's That's a picture so of him and his dad when he was like a little kid, and he's just like towering over his dad. It's crazy. That's sad. They have like statues of him and shit. <laughs> they do. I can't remember what state he's from, but there's state? a... State? Dang. Yeah, from a different country? Or? No, he's from he's from United States. Wow. Pretty sure. All yeah. right. But. Well, I'm going to go uh, look up Thor and the 9-foot 12-year-old. There we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, any announcements or uh, not that I can think of? No announcements today. Uh, appreciate the questions. Uh, keep sending them in. You guys send really good questions. Uh, if you're not in the Facebook group, go ahead and add that. I saw a bunch of you guys add yourself in. And 75% of you got my favorite TV show, right? So that means you listen. They put Seinfeld. Uh, one person put friends. I declined them from the group. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm just playing. I still accept the deal. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like if you answer the question, I know you're not a robot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you in. But um, but get in the group. Ask questions. I post every week in there now uh, asking for questions. Um, hit me up on Instagram, email, whatever. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing. Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.